Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Yordana Osban, here with my friend in Chavruta and Gordon. Our daf today, Masachet Yuma, daf Yudbet, page 12. The Gemara here starts with what I thought was a very interesting discussion about the status of Yerushalayim. And it starts with the following. And again, it's kind of a little bit, well, it's not a little, it's a tangent. But it asks the following question. The Dir Karchim ein mitame benigaim. And so the question is, they're asking is the shuls, the batei knesiot in large cities, can they become ritually impure with the tuma of nigaim, of leprosy? Vahatanya, and here they write in a brisa, achuzatchem. So they're quoting here the pasuk, in that, which talks about uh, uh, leprosy. In Vayikra, pasuk gedal, uh, sorry, perik gedal, pasuk lamedalit, chapter 14, verse 34 where it says, you know, they're talking about a house, right, that you see that saras, the leprosy on the walls, that's in your possession, right? And achuza is something that's your possession. So what they learn from this is, is that it has to be land that is actually in your possession, which can become tame, right, with this impurity of leprosy. But anything that's in Yerushalayim cannot become tummy, right? And because why? Because it doesn't really belong to anybody. I'm a Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda says, Ani lo shamati mikdash bilban. Rabbi Yehuda says, no, he heard that this only applies to the mikdash itself, right? Because the mikdash itself is not owned by anybody. Right? But all shuls and all uh, you know, showed, um, all study halls, right, um, that are in Jerusalem, they can become ritually impure with the impurity of leprosy. Right. And that finally, even though, right, and, and this is the case, even though they are, you know, synagogues in large cities and presumably don't necessarily have a specific um, owner. Um, so then it goes on to say, right, um, Ema, right? And they say, I'm a Rabbi Yehuda. Ani lo shamati mikudash bilbad. Right? So the Gemara says they sort of change what the Brisa was saying. And they're saying that what, um, what Rabbi Yehuda is saying is, is that he heard it. It's only about a mikudash site. Right? Any site that's holy that this would be true of. So there's two different readings of this particular Brisa. The first reading is saying that Rabbi Yehuda is saying that it's only the mikudash bilbad. Right, but any only that cannot get the tumor of leprosy, but anything else in Yerushalayim can. And then the second one is, is that no, it's anything that's mikudash uh, cannot get a uh, tumor. And in that case, it would include synagogues or study halls. So very interesting. And now the Gemara goes on to say, well, what is actually what's the dispute? What's the argument in the brisa? The Maikama Fliege Tanakama Sever Yerushalayim Lo Nitcha. So the Tanakama holds that Yerushalayim, right, is not owned to any particular person or to any particular shevet. It's basically like Washington, D.C., okay? But so Rabbi, Washington, D.C. is undergoing a change. I knew you were going to I mean, maybe that. not. Yes, maybe today. Not. Yes, but up Washington, D.C. until today. Yes, now you'll know exactly when this was recorded. Um, but yes, <laughs> it's now really Washington, It's not going to go through. But anyhow, yes, it's like Washington, D.C. It's kind of a, you know, it's not owned by anybody. Um, but Rabbi Yehuda holds, no, Yerushalayim is, in, is, is possessed by a few of the Shvatim. 
Ubeflukta dehaitane. And now they're going to say, okay, this actually is a machlokus of the Tanayim, the Tanya. Now they're going to have a brisa. What was in the chilek, the, the Yerusha, right? The portion of Shevet Yehuda, Har Habayit itself, right? The, the, um, the chambers and the courtyards. And what parts of Yerushalayim were part of Shevet Binyamin? So the entrance hall, basically the Beit HaMikdash, the Beit HaMikdash, right? And and there was a strip of land that came out from the chilek, from the portion of Yehuda, and went into the portion of, of Shevet Binyamin. And the Mizbeach was built in that. So the Mizbeach was really part of Yehuda, even though it's in the Heichal, and really part of Binyamin's portion. And Binyamin, the righteous, basically, because they're trying to say, like, it's not a bad thing that they were angry, right? But they would suffer, right? They would suffer about this to, you know, to take it over every day. They were upset that sort of this little piece of Yehuda went into their land and they really wanted the Mizbeach to be part of their chelet. And so what is, how do they, how do you see this? So this is part of the brachot that Moshe gives to B'nai Yisrael um, at the end of Devarim. And they quote here a puzzle from Devarim, Lamed Gibel, Pasuk Yud, Yud Bet, chapter 33, verse 12. And this is the blessing to Binyamin. Ever does he protect him, right? So the idea is, is that somebody who's, um, um, and, and the rest of the puzzle, he talks about he rests between his shoulders. So it's basically saying that there's somebody who has something stuck between his shoulders and he tries to rub it. So therefore, Binyamin was Zoha. Binyamin the Tzadik was Zoha to serve as a Ushbizi Khan, right? Which is a host, right? As opposed to Ushbizin, which is a visitor, to the Gvura, to God. And he rests between his shoulders. Right. So the idea here is that because, you know, so the Kaddish Kedoshim gets to be with them because they wanted this piece of land. And, and so they're basically using a pasuk that sort of alludes to this conflict between Yehudah and Binyamin. And again, it's interesting to see that the Gemara is um, praising this. Right. They understand why Binyamin would feel this way. And then finally, it says, so which Tana holds, or where do we see a Tana Itik teaching that Yerushalayim was not divided? So that Brisa would hold, the Brisa we just learned according to Rabbi Yehuda, right? The Tanya, we learned that a Brisa, ain maskirin batim Yerushalayim that homeowners did not let, or basically didn't rent out their houses in Yerushalayim because when you lived in Yerushalayim, you understood it actually wasn't yours. You didn't actually own it. Um, uh, you know, the, you didn't really own it. Rabbi Elazar ben Sadok Omer, Aflo Matot. Rabbi Elazar ben Sadok says, even the beds weren't rented out. So, therefore, when you had these hides of the consecrated animals, right, when people would come and bring the shlemin on, uh, on the Rigalim, um, they would want to give the hides as gifts to their hosts, but the hosts couldn't really take them because they didn't really own their houses. So in other words, they weren't owned by anybody. It, it sort of has, Yerushalayim has sort of this special status. 
And so therefore, what would they do? They would take them, the host would sort of take them by force. Now, I, I couldn't totally figure out, was that complimentary or not complimentary? Or is that sort of like a workaround? Amar Abai, so Abai says, Shmami learn from this, right? Right, learn from this that it's customary that a guest should leave sort of his uh, his jug, his empty wine jug, and hides from the animals and give them to his host, right? It's customary that you should always, you always bring a hostess gift, basically. I guess Emily Post would approve of this. So, <laughs> um, you know, so it's interesting to see, you know, sort of, again, where I think we sort of think of it as like, oh, this is something nice to say about Yerushalayim. It was owned by the tribe. It sort of had no owner, which I think sounds nice, right? Like in a way that Yerushalayim doesn't belong to anybody. Um, but yet we're also seeing that sometimes these, you know, discussions that the Gemar have actually have very practical halachic implications. And here the halachic implication is, is are there parts of Yerushalayim that cannot actually become tummy from leprosy because it doesn't fall under the pasuk of really being in somebody's possession. So it's not just, you know, saying something nice about Yerushalayim. It really has a practical halacha component to it as well. Okay. It is kind of the opposite of a halacha component, meaning I know that it is purely hypothetical and not realistic. But in terms of this machloket, in terms of this potential dispute between the tribe of Yehuda and Binyamin, and the fact that kind of Jerusalem is divided amongst them. And I feel like, well, that's kind of just asking for trouble to begin with. It's curious to me that there is never any, there was never any plan that the area of the Beit HaMikdash would be given as a Yerusha, whatever, to the Kohanim and Levim. Meaning we know that the Kohanim and the Levim do, like they do their work in the Beit HaMikdash, but they don't have an, a, a portion, right? They don't have a, an agricultural territory to call their own they're divided up amongst everybody right and there's all kinds of you know lovely and i think important drashot as to what the benefit is of having the kohanim and levim spread out through the throughout the whole country but it's surprising to me that 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 washington dc area you know or vatican city or whatever that no man's land that's really everybody's land i'm there's something curious about it that it was never kind of assigned to the kohanim and levim to me today. Yes, but it's always funny. I actually was surprised by this, Kamara, because I always had learned that Yerushalayim was part of Binyamin and Yehuda, and I had never seen this brisa that it actually didn't belong to anybody. Ah, okay. So, so, but but the question would still stand, right? Yes, meaning, your question still stands for sure. Meaning, I, I imagine that part of the concern is not to put too much power in the hand of anybody, but Still, like, it's a curious thing, I think. Okay, I'm going to take us back to the citation from the Mishnah, which, again, was talking about um, establishing an understudy, right? One portion of the Mishnah was talking about establishing an understudy, basically, for the Kohen, for the Kohen Gadol. Sorry. So the question really is, you know, if the Kohen Gadol, who is supposed to be on for that Yom Kippur, right, what happens if he gets, he's rendered Tameh, and so he can't do the Avodah, and he, the understudy has to come, you know, come save the show, not show, you know what I mean? The question is, at what point in the day? Because the 
at what point does he begin Kohen Gadol duties, the the understudy here, right? So the point is, it says that, you know, it's it's one thing, it's a clear case. If if the first guy is disqualified, you know, before the Korban Tamid Shel Shachrit, before the daily Korban Ola, well, then that's easy because then the understudy becomes the Kohen Gadol early in the day and carries on doing all the Kohen Gadol things all day long. The question, the, the trickier situation is what happens if the, the main guy, the first guy, is disqualified after that Korban of the morning, right? So then, because if you, you don't even need it from the Gemara, you can go read this in the Chumash, right? Or in the Avoda on, on, from Amachs or from Kippur, the, there's a really large number of clothes changes and so on for the Kohen Gadol. And when is he wearing the Kohen Gadol clothing and when is he wearing the Kohen Hedyot clothing, and when is he doing Kohen Gadol things, and when is he doing Kohen Hedyot things, and to say that we've got an understudy who's got to just step in at whichever point, it seems like there's a great room for confusion and uh, confusion about, I don't mean that the, that the people are confused as much as the question of what is the job that the guy, that the, the understudy is stepping in for, at what, how much has been accomplished, how much still needs to be accomplished. So, you know, Basically, then the question is, if he comes in after the Korban Tamid Shal Shacharit, right, at which point the Kohen Gadol is really just wearing the Kohen head yoke clothing. So then when the understudy comes on, how do you even realize that he is the Kohen Gadol? So that's the Gemara's question. That's the position here. You know, Bememach and Chinoto. On the other hand, I got to say, he's still doing the Kohen Gadol job. So it's not entirely clear to me that this question isn't a straw man. Right, meaning the guy knows that everybody's going to know who the Kohen Gadol, the Kohanim there are going to know. Oh, that guy got puzzled. We need to bring in, you know, he was rendered impure, whatever. He can't do it. We're going to bring in the other guy. I can't imagine that this would have been, you know, hushed up. I feel like everybody would know. There's no question who's doing what, and yet the Gemara wants to know how will you, however, would they distinguish between between the Kohen Gadol because he's not wearing the Kohen Gadol garments. Uh, so I think it's set up to be able to answer as follows. Amrav Adabra Ahava Ba'avnate. Right? We talked about this belt even already before that the Kohen Gadol belt, um, it, you know, for the rest of the year it's identical to the Kohen Hedyot belt. But on Yom Kippur, he gets a special belt that's made of linen. Um, so then when the Kohen, when the replacement, the understudy, puts on that linen belt, then you know, then he is now becoming and acting as the Kohen Gadol. Right? So so, I mean, I think that that's clear. There is another question in the Gemara here. You know, what about the question, the person, there's a view that says the belt of the Kohen Gadol is not the same as the belt of the Kohen Hedyo to begin with, you know, and that it was always a different belt. So then that's a, a sharper question in terms of, you know, how do we then shift? It's not just a matter of linen versus not linen because you've got all the colors involved according to that view. Um, you know, again, the question is going to be what makes us know what initiates this new guy to be the Kohen Gadol? So Abai answers this. Amar Abai, Lovesh Shmona, he wears the eight garments of the Kohen Gadol. Umapech Betsinora. Ukedrav Huna, the Amar of Huna, Zarish Afach Betsinora, Chayav Mita. Okay, so let's just let's explain what this means. We're going to talk about someone who's obligated with a death penalty. Let's make sure we know what he says. Okay, so what happens? Before the understudy begins doing the Yom Kippur stuff, Right, he first gets designated to be the Kohen Gadol, and to according to Abaye, and to do that, part of that, um, 
um, taking on of this job, <clears throat> excuse me, is in fact by putting on the eight garments of the Kohen Gadol. And then he does something, he, he does a task at the, all, at the, on the Mizbech, right? This is Mahapech Patsinora. He's doing something active in his capacity now as Kohen Gadol. He's accelerating the burning of the Tamid, even if he wasn't the one who offered it to begin with. And now, okay, now he's done something as a Kohen Gadol. He's acted like the Kohen Gadol. He's wearing the garments of the Kohen Gadol. And now he can go change out of the garments of the Kohen Gadol to do the next, the next bit of the Avoda, which requires the, the garments of the Kohen Hedyot. And so then the Gemara says, well, this, this lines up with what Rav Huna said, because Rav Huna says that somebody who's not the Kohen, um, I'm here, presumably not the Kohen Gadol, Right, who's, who does this turning over of the korban on the mizbeach would be chayav mita. You're not allowed to do that. You can't come and mess with the korban tamid once it's set up, unless you're the kohen gadol and you have a very specific task in mind, and then that's legitimate. The point being that Rav Huna's position that you can't do this means everybody but the kohen gadol. So the moment the understudy does this, now he's taking on literally by his actions the role of the kohen gadol. It must, you know, he it it it. It initiates him into the role. Now the Gemara says, and this I really love, it says, um, I'm sorry, Avodato Machan Chato. No, I've skipped the line, I'm sorry. Rav Papa Amar, Avodato Machan Chato. It says, the service, the Avoda that he does initiates him to begin with. Meaning, according to Rav Papa, there's no need to take that fork or clear or whatever it is and do this turning over of the korban on the mizbeach he doesn't even need to do that why right when did i read this right um i'm sorry my eyes are tired um so basically the point is that when moshe rabbeinu made, right, established everything going on with the vessels for the Mishkan, right, they're going to be holy, and he anoints them. So he does this anointing of them, and he, and, and that's it. Then they are sanctified, they're consecrated, and that's it. The moment you use them, you are putting them, you are putting these sacred consecrated vessels into action, and it kind of activates the consecration that Moshe Rabbeinu already did from the very moment that he he um, anointed them. The moment the Kohen Gadol, meaning the new understudy Kohen Gadol, takes on this job, then he's functioning as a Kohen Gadol, and lo and behold, he's the Kohen Gadol, meaning he, he's establishing his legitimacy in this role by doing the role. I mean, this whole section is interesting because it's, I was taken by, like, I guess you're right. You don't, first of all, you couldn't anoint him, particularly if it takes place on Yom Kippur itself. I'm wondering if that's a piece of it. Well, okay, let me back up. In the first Beit Hamidash, I'm wondering if you couldn't anoint this Kohen Gazal because it, you can't do any anointing on Yom Kippur. That was kind of one question I had. The second Beit Hamidash, we know that, question. yeah, they don't ask it. So maybe it's not a good question. The second also, I'm not sure that that anointing is the anointing that you can't do on Yom Kippur. Right. I right? The, the thing that is prohibited of, of you know, I don't know, perfuming or or lotions. I'm not sure that yeah, it Yeah, but count. you hear what I'm saying. I don't know. It just popped in my head. Yeah, yeah. Even though we know the second Beit HaMikdash, they didn't have it. It was hidden and whatever. Um, right, right. But I guess to me, the moral of this was the clothes make a man. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let me. Just, yeah. yeah. Go on. Finish. 
Okay, I just want to jump to the very end of the daf where, because then the question is, and I think it's it, the same way that I really like that the way the guy, the way the understudy becomes a coin guttle is by doing the coin guttle things that makes him the coin guttle. The question that has to be asked, what happens if the first guy is recovers, right? What happens if he turns out he wasn't Tame or he didn't have a blemish or whatever thing was knocking him out of the game, he's now able to come back. But now you've already got another coin guttle because because you've you know they've elevated the understudy, the coin head yo to be a coin guttle. So now what's supposed to happen? Does the first guy take the day off? Or does he come back and the second guy, what's supposed to happen to him? So the Gemara addresses this very neatly, very cleanly. Tanarabanan. It's at the very towards the very end of the daf. Um right? So we know the first one gets up Sul, some kind of disqualification, and they appoint the second one underneath him. Meaning in his place, not really underneath him. Rishon What happens if the first one can come back to his work? Sheni kol mitzvot kahuna gedola alav Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir says everything that applies to the kohen gadol in terms of what he's allowed to do, in terms of what he has to do, all of these things would apply to the coin to the second guy, to the understudy who is now functioning in the capacity of the kohen gadol, even though the first guy comes back to do the avoda of that yom kippur. So all these other things in terms of wearing the garments or, you know, in terms of um, mourning, right, or the letting his hair grow and so on. Like all these things that might, he, all these things that might have been allowed for Kohen Hedyot but are prohibited for Kohen Gadol still apply all the time that the understudy is functioning in the capacity of the Kohen Gadol. Even if the other guy comes back to do the main avoda, he also has to, he, he, he sticks with these, these both limitations and pr- privileges. That's Rabbi May. Rabbi Yossi says, we showed the first guy comes back to do the avoda. It's a much harsher statement. He says, well, the moment you bring the first guy back to be the Kohen Gadol and wear the eight garments and do the avoda, well, then the second guy, the understudy who has been appointed, he can no longer play that role. Rabbi Yossi seems to think you can't have two people with Kohen Gadol status at the same time. Whereas Rabbi Meir seems to be willing to tolerate it under these circumstances. Um, and so Rabbi Yossi, you know, tries to support himself. He says, I'm Rabbi Yossi, Yosef ben Elam, Bitsipori, Shei Rebbe, Psul, B'Kohen Gadol. So this happened, right? Some, the Kohen was disqualified. Ominuhu Tachtav, they appointed the understudy under him. Va'amru, in his place, again, I'm sorry, this is, Tachtav is the literal translation, and it, means in his place. And then the Chachamim said, So Rabbi Yossi knows, where does he get this idea? He's quoting these elders in Sipori where this, you know, the equivalent really happened. It's a really interesting, I think it's a really interesting rationale as to why he's not fit for either one. Meaning, perhaps it's not because you can't have two at once. It says, well, uh, maybe. Maybe it's the same thing, right? It says, Mishum Eva. Eva is like jealousy, right? The moment you have two in, in the job, you don't want the, the first guy. You don't want the guy who's supposed to be doing the coin guttle job that day to begin with. You don't hit, want him resenting the second guy for, for now also being in the same role. Um, I would imagine that that's not the right emotions for coin guttle and Yom Kippur, or maybe any day. 
also the idea of having two people with the same equal standing of the Kohen Gadol, it puts them at odds with each other, puts them in competition with each other from the, from the get-go. And so the according to this view and what the elders of Sipari did and what Rabiosi, you know, uh, takes their opinion to be is you, you can't do that. It messes it up. You, you just have the original one and you take this. The second one cannot be the Kohen Gadol as, you know, not according to, not in accord with Rabbi Mayer's position. And then the second reason I even like, I like even better, the Kohen Hedjot, who has been elevated to the role of Kohen Gadol, even if it's only for a short time until the first guy comes back, has gone up in Kodesh, meaning he has been elevated to be a Kohen Gadol from being a regular Kohen. So there's a principle, and we've seen it before, and we'll see it again in Halacha, you go up in levels of sanctity, and once you've gone up, you do not come down, which I think is, you know, it puts him in this limbo land. He he can't be the Kohen Gadol because the first guy is a Kohen Gadol, but he can't go back to being a regular Kohen Hedyot because he has spent some of the day as a Kohen Gadol, and we're not going to let him kind of diminish his stature to be a regular Kohen Hedyot again. Well, I, you know, when you first read this whole piece, I'm talking about from the missionary. You were like, hey, that might be cool to be the understudy. But now I'm not so sure. Like, you know, you kind of are in a bind. You're sort of neither here nor there if this happens to you. And you sort of have to go back from being a Kohen Gadol. And you sort of never get to go back to being a regular Kohen. It was an interesting, uh, you know, I don't know how that practically played itself out. And I'm curious. It is interesting to see that, you know, they only sort of give one example of it. There's not like, many examples. So I'm sure this was not something that happened very often. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP and our Talking Talent Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. Mm-hmm.